Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys here this morning. Um, I think every single person in this room, at some point in our life or another, um, we have met somebody that we would consider as having, let's say, unwavering faith, okay? Or somebody that we just look at and we're like, wow, okay, they just have really, really great faith. I mean, we've all met somebody like that. And you might be sitting in here and you might like not even be in the whole church thing or God or Jesus. You don't even know what you believe about Jesus. And you're only here because your coworker or your mother, like you're just trying to get them off your back. You know what I'm talking about? I know there's some of you out there. That's cool. I respect that, by the way. And uh, we're glad that you're here. But um, even you can't deny that sometimes you just, you just run into people in life that you see them going through some, usually it's, it's always some tragic situation and you see their they, like they just have faith or, or maybe a better word of putting it is, is they just have confidence that God is in control. Now, if you notice, um, we only notice faith in the people around us. We only notice faith in their life when, uh, when life is not going well. Have you noticed that? Like we never notice faith, like it just never occurs to us or we never see it when, um, we never notice people's faith when their life is going like really, really good, okay? Like, like we expect them to have faith when life is going good. It's when life is going not well. It's, it's when they're going through some horrible circumstances, some just tragic situation in their life, but and when we see kind of how they walk through those situations and there's just something in the way that they carry themselves that... that you know, probably not, not often in our life, but we see these people that's just impressive. In fact, it's, quite honestly, it's, in, it's inspiring. See, for me, by the nature of my job, um, I've met people like that. In fact, I'll be honest with you, some of them are, are some of you, okay, that I've watched you go through things in your life that I can't even imagine um, that are so, so difficult and so, so hard. And then I talk to you and I'm like, you know, and I'll talk to these people where it's like, hey, how you doing? Like, like is there anything we could do? And it's just like the tone of, of their voice and it's like, it's like the words that they're saying, I'm like, they just don't seem to match up with the circumstance that you're going through. You ever have that? Where you're just like, wow. Like, like you watch them experience suffering and pain in their life, but they handle it just so, so well. They just have great faith. And it's not just, you know, this like soft, it's nothing like that. No, it's active, it's gritty, it's persistent, it's determined, it's gussy, it's real world type stuff. Uh, today, we're in part 10 of our series of investigating the real Jesus, and we are looking, or we have been looking, at a Greek doctor named Luke who lived during Jesus' time, and, uh, and Luke didn't know Jesus personally, but he had heard the stories about Jesus, and he had heard the rumors about Jesus, and so he took months and months and months of his life, or poss- probably even years of his life, that he took to investigate and to sit down with the eyewitnesses and track them down and have the conversations and to ask the tough questions, and he compiles it all down into one orderly document. And that, by the way, is the book of Luke in each and every one of our Bibles. Now, when Luke is writing this, what I want us to understand is Luke is not writing religious literature. Okay, that's not his point. That's not his plan. That's not what he is doing by any means. What Luke is doing is he is simply documenting the life of a man who happened to claim to be God. A man who changed the world, whether you believe that he was God or not, you cannot deny that he changed the world from that moment on. And so, so far, we've been looking at how Jesus, he begins what we would call his public ministry. He goes public with his teaching, and uh, the story really starts off with a guy named John. 
you remember, John the Baptist, he's got a nickname, okay, he's kind of a weird guy, he's doing his thing out in the desert, um, he's a wild looking guy, and, and he's out there baptizing people in, in the Jordan River, and he's doing his thing, and the crowds and crowds and crowds of people from all over the, the area, all over the region would come, and they wanted to see John, and they wanted to hear what John has to say, and one day, a 30-year-old carpenter named Jesus left his home and heads out to see John himself into the middle of nowhere. And if you remember, when John sees Jesus, he's coming down the bank and Jesus' plan is he's going to get baptized by John. If you remember, John looks at him and he just says, he points at him, he says, look. And everybody in the crowd, they all look towards the guy that John is pointing to. And he says, that guy right there, he says, that guy's the Messiah. Now, Messiah, for those of you who don't know, Messiah is just an old word for the word Savior. And uh, in the Old Testament, in fact, the entire Old Testament is constantly pointing to uh, God saying, hey, someday I'm going to fix your sin problem. And what that's going to look like is I am sending a person. I'm sending someone. He is called the Messiah. He will be your Savior. And he's going to come on the scene and he's going he's gonna to save you. And so the Jewish people for, for, for generations and generations after generations have been waiting for this one guy, waiting for this Messiah to show up. And here's John on this particular day. He looks over, he points, he says, this is the guy that your ancestors have been waiting for. This is the guy that we've been waiting for. And you would think at this point, this would be like the perfect time for Jesus to like start his thing. Like, okay, he's going to start his movement, get everybody ready. He don't do that. All right. He actually does the opposite of what we do. And this is kind of what we see throughout Jesus' life, kind of the upside down nature of Jesus. He does things that we wouldn't normally do. Instead of going and, you know, he's already got crowds around him and he's got a prophet there that's like pointing at him saying, hey, this is the guy, you know, Jesus could have been like, hey, yeah, I am. Like, this is, this is who I am. I'm going to save all y'all, you know, like that type of thing. He doesn't do that. He actually leaves to go out in the desert to spend like a month and a half by himself, okay? Exact opposite of what we'd picture. And so after he does that, then you're thinking, well, maybe now he would go um, and, and kind of start this movement. He doesn't do it then either. He actually leaves and he goes home. And he starts going from town to town to town. He's teaching and he's healing people. And as you can imagine, news about Jesus gets around, meaning it does not take long that crowds and crowds upon crowds, they come and they gather around Jesus. And, and what's happening is Jesus, generate, he's generating some buzz. All right, he's got a couple sound bites that the local news picks up and they're spreading that. And then things that he says end up going viral and uh, the movement begins to form. In fact, um, Mark tells us that so many people were following Jesus. Uh, Mark tells us that uh, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. Right? He couldn't just like walk into a town anymore because all these people would just gather around and clog up everything. He says, but he was out in the deserted places. Like that's where he stayed, out in the countryside. And they came to him from everywhere. All right? People were gathering around Jesus from all over the map. No matter where he went, the crowd follows because everybody wants to see what he is going to do next because Jesus is doing things that nobody has ever seen before. And everybody wants to hear the things that he's going to say next because Jesus is saying things that nobody has ever heard said before. And so here, there's so many people that it kind of starts working against Jesus. Right? And now he has to like sneak into town. If he wants to get into town, he has to disguise himself so that nobody would know. In fact, one day, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus goes back to his home base, which is this town called Capernaum. Right? It's a town that welcomed him with open arms. And, uh, and he probably sneaks back into town. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter 7, right at the beginning, he says, there was a centurion there. Now, a centurion, just so we're all on the same page, was a Roman soldier. Right? He was commander over 100, hence the name. And, um, and so this guy, 
was, uh, was not Jewish by any means, and he was actually considered an enemy of the Jews. Why? Because he worked for Rome, and Rome was an oppressive foreign government that owned Israel, actually owned most parts of the world at that point in time in history, and, uh, and so the Jewish people hated Rome. They didn't want Rome owning them. They didn't want Rome governing them, a foreign government, and so, and so the centurion is an enemy of the Jews, and so there's this centurion that was in town. He's probably in charge of that town. He's got his soldiers with him. And uh, he's got a servant who is highly valued by him and was sick and was about to die. It says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him. Now, what this guy's doing is, uh, is he's kind of reading the landscape, okay? Some of you guys are really good at doing this. Some of you guys are not, okay? He's kind of reading the landscape. What he knows is he's saying, hey, um, I'm a Roman soldier, Okay, I'm an enemy of the Jews just kind of by, by title even. And Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And so he knows, he's like, I can't go. If I were to go ask Jesus to do a favor for me, Jesus is going to be like, well, no, right? Remember, he doesn't even know Jesus really. He just knows Jesus can do these. He's just healing people. And so what he does is he calls in a favor. You ever do that with a friend? You know what I'm talking about? We're like, hey, um, you remember this thing that I did for you like 10 years ago? Okay, I need you to do something for me now. Like time for you to pay up. You know what I'm talking about? That's what this guy does. So he goes to some Jewish elders that he knows, and he says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Jesus and request him to come and save the life of my servant. All right, I want you to go to him because Jesus, he's going to be a lot more prone as a Jewish rabbi to say yes to Jewish people than he is to say yes to me, an enemy, a Roman soldier. And so they go. It says, and when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. They say, hey, Jesus, could you got, there's this guy, he's a soldier, but don't hold that against him. Like, he's got this servant, he's really sick, he's getting ready to die. And, uh, and so this guy really wants you to come and heal him. He cares about his servant. And, uh, and, and this guy is actually a really, really, really good guy. He says, he is worthy for you to grant this. Like, he's worthy, all right? I know he's a, he's a you know, soldier, but you got to look past that. He's actually a really good guy because he actually loves our nation. He's like pro-Israel, okay? He's pro-us. And Jesus, you see that synagogue down the street? And Jesus looks over. He's like, oh, yeah, all right, nice place. And he's like, he actually built that, all right? He built that for us. Pretty nice guy. He built us a synagogue. And so Jesus, he hears this, and he's like, all right, I'll go. And so Jesus goes with them. And so the soldiers, really the soldiers' friends, all right, these Jewish elders, they run ahead of Jesus and they're, they can't wait to tell him. You ever have like good news that you can't wait to tell like your friend, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're just like, oh, can't wait to tell him this. And so they go up to him and they get to the centurion's house and they're like, hey, guess what? And he's like, what? And they're like, Jesus is coming over today. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't that be intense? If someone, yeah. And so they're, they're like, Jesus is coming. We asked him to come to your house. Now he's coming. It's going to be awesome. And what's crazy is you would think the centurion would be like, oh, man. All right, I got to do my hair. I got to, like, make sure everything's, like, set. You know, you think he'd be like, oh, I'm going to meet Jesus. Like, that is awesome. That's not his reaction. The centurion, when he hears this, he's just like, wait, why? Wait, he's coming here? They're like, yeah, he's coming here. And he's like, there, he's on his way right now. He's like, why? No, no. I don't want him to come here. I don't know if, you know, his house wasn't cleaned or maybe he didn't mow his lawn for the last couple weeks or something, but there's something about it. And basically his point is he's saying that's just a waste of his time. He doesn't need to come to my house. He says, no, no, no. What you need to do, like, I don't want him coming here. He doesn't need to come here. It's such a waste of his time. He shouldn't be spending time on me. 
what I want you to do is I want you to go tell Jesus, who's on his way to my house, that he doesn't need to walk all the way here. He doesn't need to walk all the way across town to come to me. And so his friends are like, I thought, oh, okay, all right, I thought you wanted us to do this, but whatever. And so they go, and they run back to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, um, I know we just asked you to, like, come over to this guy's house, and, and he's worthy and all this stuff, but he wanted us to give you this message. It's kind of weird. Um, he wanted us to tell you, uh, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He says, that's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But Jesus, all you have to do is you just have to say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. He says, you just have to say it. All right, that's all you got to do. He says, for I too am a man placed under authority. What he's saying is, he's saying, hey, me and you, we got something in common, Jesus. Remember, this is done through these Jewish messengers. He's saying, I too, we have something in common, all right, because I have authority just like you, Jesus, obviously have authority since you can like heal people and stuff. He says, I have soldiers under my command, as you know. All right, I say to this one, go, and guess what? He goes. All right, I say to this one, come, and guess what? He comes, and I tell my servant to do this, and guess what? He does it. Wouldn't you parents love it if your kids did that, all right? That'd be awesome. Some of you guys are like, the dream, all right? This guy's living it. Um, and so he's like, yeah, I, I command people, and they do what I say. And so I understand all you have to do is you just have to command it, Jesus. And the centurion, he's saying, I'm not even worthy to talk to you. Don't waste your time on me. Just say it, and I know my servant will be healed. That's all I'm asking for you. I don't want you to waste your time. I don't want you to waste your effort. Just say it. That's all I'm asking is for the words to leave your mouth. And this guy, <laughs> dude, he's one of those people that just have that unwavering faith, that unshakable Faith. And think about it. It's not like his life is going super awesome right now. I mean, his servant is getting ready to die. This is um, his really close friend of his, maybe even best friend. It's someone that he's extremely close to, is on his deathbed. But somehow, some way, he's got this confidence, this trust, this faith that God's in control. And that Jesus has the power to do something about his problem. See, that type of confidence and that type of faith is what we should want in our life. And so he sends a message. And when Jesus hears the centurion's message, I mean, Jesus is just like, are you serious? Like, I'm almost there. He's like, what? He's, he heard it, and he was amazed. He's just like, I've, I, you, he's shocked. All right, can you picture this? This is what I want you to picture. All right, can you picture Jesus, who, by the way, can I just like clear this up? Jesus, who was God of the universe wrapped in a human body? Okay, like we understand that. God of the universe, right, Jesus, he is amazed. He is stunned. He is shocked, maybe even speechless at this man's message, right, at this man's request. It says, and so he turns around to the crowd who's following him, and he's just like, whoa. And everybody in the crowd's like, what? What is going on here? And he says, I tell you that I have not found such great a faith even in Israel. See, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, man, I've been going from town to town to town to town for months, and I've met a lot of people, and I've seen a lot of things in my day, and I've never seen anything like this guy before. All right, this is amazing. Now, Jesus is not surprised often, okay, as we could imagine. I mean, he's God. We wouldn't think he'd be surprised at all. Um, Jesus, he's not surprised often. Actually, we only see Jesus amazed twice in the entire Bible, and both of them, it's quite interesting, revolve around faith. Uh, the other time is actually going to happen months later than this. Jesus 
He's going to head back to his hometown called Nazareth. And when he gets there, all right, the people, his hometown people, they're all going to reject him again. They've already done that once. And uh, he's going to be amazed. Mark tells us he's going to be amazed at the lack of faith. He just like can't believe that they won't believe. But here, Jesus, he's saying he's amazed at this guy. And he's like, man, this guy ain't even a Jew. And he's got more faith than you, is what Jesus is saying to the crowd. And he's challenging them. He's like, you need to have faith like this guy. And so Jesus turns around. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I kind of expect him, like, you'd think he'd be even more intrigued to, like, go meet this guy. Well, if this is the guy who's got the, like, the greatest faith in all of Israel that Jesus has seen so far, like, you'd think Jesus would be like, oh, I'm going to go meet this guy. All right, I want to go see what's going on with him. Like, who is he? All right, Jesus doesn't do that. When he hears this, he turns around and he actually leaves town. And he says, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. And so Jesus heals him. All right, Mark says that after this, or not Mark, Luke says that after this, um, Jesus, they, they head out and they go to a, a small town called Nain. Okay, Nain, sweet, pretty sweet name for a town. I like saying it, Nain. Sounds like tough, like I'm going to Nain, you know. Anyway, I, I'm from Nain. Like that's a town that, you know, Green Springs, no. Nain, yes. You get what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So uh, they get to town, all right, to this little town called Nain. This is the only time really, really Nain is brought up in the Bible. And uh, obscure little town. And there's a funeral for a young guy happening. And so we don't have time to get into this story because we got something else to look at real quick. But uh, this funeral is happening. This guy's probably in his 20s. He has died. And it's an open casket type thing. And they're carrying him out of town to bury him. And so Luke says that Jesus, he has compassion not on the dead guy, but on his mom. So he sees his mom. She's probably just like to pieces, you know, and, and she, we find out, is a widow, so she doesn't have a husband. He's also dead. And uh, Jesus does something that's just super, super awkward, okay? So picture this, all right? There's this funeral procession happening. He walks up in the middle of the funeral procession, right? He, he goes to the casket. He reaches his hand in. Again, it's an open casket. The guy's like dead right there. He, and he touches the guy, and then he starts, like, he starts like talking to him. He's like, hey, dead guy, get up. And the dead guy gets up. It's crazy. And everybody's just like, what is happening? No one has ever seen anything like this before. And Luke tells us that fear came over everyone, meaning they're start freaking out. I mean, everybody's freaking out that Jesus has done this. This guy was dead. Now he's like, is he a zombie? Like, is he like normal? Like, what is going on here? And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. He's saying, man, they're all like, this Jesus guy, like, I don't know much about Jesus, but Jesus is obviously a prophet. Like, he's obviously a man from God. And some of them were saying, no, 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 this guy is God. He says, God has visited his people today. That's the only reason, that's the only way that this could happen. And this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Everybody starts talking. I mean, Jesus, he was famous and he was popular before because he's doing all these miracles and all this stuff. But now he has raised, I mean, he has brought a dead guy back to life. Pretty impressive. Okay, and so everybody's just like, I, everybody's talking about it, and people can't keep their mouths shut. I mean, everybody, I mean, news just goes everywhere about this guy. It spreads throughout the region, and uh, Jesus, he's doing things that nobody's ever seen before. He's saying things that nobody has ever heard before, and eventually, John the Baptist hears about these things. All right, now, John the Baptist is someone that we've been talking about. We've talked about uh, the first week, and uh, Jesus and John the Baptist, at this point in time, they probably haven't seen each other since Jesus' baptism. 
which has been months, has been several months, um, in fact, probably over a year before Jesus has been on the road visiting towns. And since then, within that past year, John the Baptist has been arrested and thrown in prison. Now, John the Baptist, when we hear that word, I feel like a lot of us, we think like religion, you know, super Bible character, churchy guy, right? That's not who John was at all. In fact, him and the religious leaders constantly butt heads against each other. John, he's not a Bible character. I don't want you to think of him like that. He's a historical character. Even the Roman historian um, who lived during Luke's, the lifetime of Luke, his name was Josephus, he writes about John. He also wrote about Jesus. And so along with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and their accounts, right, we also have Josephus who also wrote about what happened. And this is what happened with John. Right? Um, within that past year, there, there was a governor over this entire region. His name was, was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was actually the son of Herod the Great, who was the king that killed a bunch of babies in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. You remember that story? Okay, all right. So this is his son, Herod the Great. He, he's dead. And uh, Herod Antipas decides to divorce his wife. And uh, instead, he, devi- he decides, I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm going to marry his brother's wife. Okay? So some of you guys thought your family had drama? All right? This is drama. Okay? So he does this. And uh, when news gets out, uh, a bunch of the Jewish people are like, well, psh, I mean, I'm no, like, super Jesus religious you know, God follower, but even I know, like, that's kind of messed up. And so um, people start talking about it. And John the Baptist, because this is kind of his MO, this is what John he does, is he publicly calls Herod out. Remember, John's the guy who's, like, out in the middle uh, of nowhere. He's got a bunch of crowds of people around him, and he's, like, always just yelling at people. You know, some of you guys would be so good at that job, okay? That's like John. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so John, he's doing his thing. And, uh, and, and as you can imagine, Herod doesn't like the fact that John is calling him out. And so Herod has John arrested and thrown in prison. So at this point, John has been in prison for months and months. And he hears about all this stuff that Jesus is doing. And so what John does is he sends a couple of guys to ask Jesus, hey, what's the plan? All right, Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, but like I'm stuck here in prison. Probably not your plan. I know I'm not like blaming you or anything. No way. But uh, if you get me out of here, that'd be awesome. When are we doing this? You know, like that's his question. And so these messengers come to Jesus. And when they find Jesus, you know, there's a crowd around Jesus. If you could picture this moment. And, you know, they're just like, oh, hey, Jesus, we got a question from John the Baptist. And when everybody hears this, I mean, like probably a hush over the crowd. Everybody's like, John the Baptist, like, what happened to him? Where's he been? I think he's in prison. I'm not sure. He kind of fell off the mat. Like, like I haven't heard much about him recently. And so they're like, okay, so John's got a question. What's it going to be? You got John the Baptist, this, like, special prophet. Now he's asking Jesus who claims he's the Messiah. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but this is going to be intense. What is it? And so John, the question is, and I bet his messengers are just like, uh, Jesus, maybe we, maybe we should talk about this privately. And Jesus is like, no, let's do this. You know, like, like what, what's his question? And he's like, all right, this is not my question. This is John's, okay? I'm just the messenger here, Jesus. He says, he's just asking, like, are you the one? Meaning, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Who is to come that we've been waiting for? Or should we be looking for someone else? Kind of harsh, right? I mean, this is coming from John the Baptist. And basically what John's asking, he's like, what's the plan? Like, I'm sick of waiting. 
Right? I thought you were going to become king. When am I going to get out of prison? I thought you were supposed to be this Messiah. Now I'm doubting. Like, like are you supposed to be the one? Or are you the one or not? Like, I'm just, like, just tell me plainly. And what he's doing is he's questioning Jesus. It's so interesting because here, instead of having great faith, like the centurion, John doubts. Remember Jesus' baptism? We kind of already talked about it a little bit. Uh, John, he's doing his thing. He's baptizing people in this river out in the middle of nowhere. And, and he sees Jesus coming down the bank. Remember, like what I said, he, he looks at him and he points to him. And he says, hey, look. And everybody looks. He says, this is the Messiah. This is the one. It's so interesting. John is the first one to actually tell people that, hey, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He's the first one to say he is the one. He's the one. But now, months later, he's doubting everything. Again, John is not just a Bible character. I don't want us to think of it that way. He's not just a Bible character who did all the right things, and he's someone that we should all aspire to be, like all the time. No, that's not, that's not who he was. That's one of the things I love about Luke is Luke doesn't sugar, sugarcoat things. It's not what he does. All right, these are real people with real problems like me. In fact, if you're like me, you're probably a lot like John. Maybe not the bug-eating part. You know what I mean? And the camel skin wearing thing. Like, it was weird. Um, wasn't fashionable back then either. Um, but, but I think we're a lot like John when it comes to our faith. See, what happens is some problem pops up in our life, which always happens. Like, you can't just go through life with no problems. It's just not, not how life is. Um, so problem pops up in our life, and we're just like, why? You ever ask that? We're just like, hey, God, <laughs> um, why, wh- why are you allowing this? Like, you see my problem here? I need you to come fix it. Actually, what a lot of us do, and it's so interesting, is we, we say, hey, God, um, I, like, I want you in my life, kind of, <laughs> okay? So I want you to, like, stay right here. You just, like, hang out right here, God, you know, like, chill. Um, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do my own thing, and then we're doing our own thing over here, and then life doesn't go the way that we expect it to go, which it never does. And then we go over to God. We're like, hey, God, I need you to come over here and fix my problem. And then we get mad at God when God doesn't fix our problem in our timing or when God doesn't fix our problem the way that we told him to fix our problem. Isn't that kind of crazy? All right? That's what we do. It's kind of messed up. And so here, all right, is John. I mean, I mean, I think we're a lot like him. We're just like, why? I don't understand. I don't understand why you allowed this to happen in my life. When are you going to fix my problem? Uh, yesterday, I ran into this. I had the same feeling yesterday. Um, for me, when I put a message together, it takes me like two full days. And it's not like fun two full days. It's like homework, you know, writing a paper two full days, okay? Not my favorite part of the week. And so um, I spend Thursday and Friday getting ready for the message up here on Sunday. And then I have a few hours on Saturday that I come in and just like fix it all, okay? So that's what I do. That's my thing. Um, Yesterday, I come in to fix it all, and, um, and I get on my computer, and my message is gone. It's gone. It's dead. It's not there. It's non-existent. All right? It's just out there, you know, just gone. And I'm, just, and I'm calling my tech guys. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? Hey, I need, you to, I need you to, like, bring up a resurrected dead file or something. You know, I'm like, come on. Like, I'm praying to Jesus. I'm like, you got the guy in name. Can't you get the Microsoft Word document? You know, let's resurrect that. You know, like that type of thing. And what I found out was that there's three things that had to happen um, for me to completely lose my, my message or this file. And that is, number one, my computer battery had to go 100% dead. And for some reason on Friday night, it did. And then number two, autosave on Microsoft Word had to be turned off for some reason, it was. And number three, the system that backs up my computer had to have uh, 
clear, apparently not worked. And for some reason, as we were looking at it, it had a bunch of errors on it. And so it stopped backing things up, like who knows when. And so I'm realizing this, and I'm just like, like it's gone. And then I spent like a couple hours just like, like you spend like two hours just like, trying, like hoping, you know, and your hope just kind of whittles down and it's just like, uh. And so I'm like, I have two, I have like two days worth of work that I got to fit into an afternoon and a Saturday evening. And I had a bunch of things I wanted to do. I was like getting an early start on my day. I was excited. And then this happened. And I'll be honest with you. I'm just like, why? <laughs> like why? I, I don't understand why you would allow this to happen. Like, like I'm, do, I'm trying to do your work. Like I'm trying to do your thing. Um, my message isn't going to be good, by the way. If you think this message is like subpar, it was way better on Friday. Okay, let me just throw that out there. <laughs> All right, that's my excuse, sticking with that. And I'm just like, why? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I, I just don't see a good reason for this. Whole day wiped away, sitting inside at my desk, not what I want to do. And I'll be honest, like, I probably, I wouldn't say I had, like, full-blown questioning my entire faith, like John apparently is doing. But I am just sitting there, and I'm just like, really? You know? You ever, you ever feel that way? See, it's when something goes wrong in life, that's when most of us question our faith, like John. So interesting. Here, we got two examples for us, right? We got this non-Jewish Roman soldier who has a major problem enter his life, and he has so much faith that it amazes God. Crazy. And then you got this special prophet who is the first one to actually declare Jesus as the Messiah, and he's the first one, he's, he's the most excited and his faith crumbles when problems enter his life. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you know everything about the Bible or if you know nothing about the Bible. It doesn't matter if you've only been a Christian for a matter of weeks or maybe you've been for a Christian for a matter of decades or even a pastor like me. It doesn't matter. We all have the inclination to struggle with faith. But the good news is that we also all have the ability to have great faith. Now back to our story. Jesus Here's John's doubts. And everybody's just like, this is so awkward. What is he going to say? You know, everybody's just like kind of on edge. You've been there where it's just uncomfortable. Jesus replies to him. He says, all right, why don't you just go and report to John what you've seen and heard? Which, by the way, is such a Jesus move of an answer. All right, like what does that mean? Um, he doesn't say yes or no. He says, just go and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. He says, and then he starts listing it out. He's like, the blind receive their sight. The lame people who can't walk, they start, they've started walking. You got those with leprosy, all right? This was a terrible skin disease that was highly contagious. He says, I've healed a bunch of them. The deaf, I've healed them. They hear now, and the dead are raised. He just did that in Nain, awesome name, okay? He just did that. And the poor are told the good news. He starts listing out all these things, and what he's doing here is he's actually quoting the Old Testament because the Old Testament, through different prophets and at different times, has said, hey, this is what the Messiah, this is what the Savior is going to do. He's going to do all this stuff. And we've actually seen some of this before. Now, focus with me just real quick. Remember Jesus' first sermon? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus goes back to his hometown, Nazareth, and uh, he's kind of a big deal at this point. He's a local hero. He's viewed as a rabbi. And uh, one Saturday, he goes to synagogue, and they ask him to teach, actually. And uh, this was a huge honor for Jesus. And so Jesus, he gets out the prophet Isaiah, which is a book in the Old Testament, and he starts reading it. And he's actually reading a section of it that is describing the future Messiah. And, he, and it's, it's some of these things in this list. 
He says, um, you know, the Messiah, he's going to preach the good news to the poor. He's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to set free the impressed. And then Jesus sets the scroll. They didn't have books then. They had scrolls. He sets it down, and he says, I've done it. I'm the Messiah, and uh, it's the shortest sermon ever. Most of you guys would have loved it, okay? A lot, less, <laughs> a lot shorter than this. And, uh, and then remember what happens? They try to throw him off a cliff. Not cool ever. Because um, they recognize he's like, he's calling himself the Messiah. There's no way. That's blasphemy. You can't do that. And so here what Jesus is doing is he's repeating those things to John's messengers. But if you notice, Jesus skipped one that I mentioned. Set free the oppressed. Isn't that kind of interesting? Now, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like, or I, I think that maybe what Jesus is doing is he's like, it's almost like sending a, cryptic message to John, in a sense. Because I think when the messengers report what Jesus has to say, his, his response back to John, I think John realizes that Jesus skipped one. And I bet John's going, well, okay, you've done all that good stuff, but hey, what about setting free the oppressed? I would personally really like to see that one, okay? Like that one sounds interesting, most appealing to me, right? But it's like Jesus is saying, like, yeah, John, I am the Messiah, and no, John, you ain't getting out. You're not getting out. And what's so interesting is he doesn't. In fact, Josephus, Roman historian, not Jesus' follower, he tells us that when Herod decides to divorce his wife, remember, he actually tries to do it quietly. Right? Now, ladies, let's be honest. You think that's going to go over pretty, that well? You know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, just let your husband divorce you quietly and, and everything's good. Yeah, didn't go over too well. She ain't having it. And so she runs to her daddy, who happens to be an Arab king named King Eratos. And King Eratos already doesn't like um, Herod because they've had some disagreements about like land and border disputes. And so uh, King Eratos actually gathers his army and he goes to war against Herod Antipas and Herod loses big time. In fact, Josephus tells us that many Jews thought Herod lost the war because he lost in such a dramatic fashion that they thought it was actually punishment from God. Because Herod had beheaded John the Baptist months earlier, and many people, many of the Jews viewed John the Baptist as a special prophet, which he was. And so when John receives Jesus' message, John obviously doesn't know he's about to be beheaded, right? It's coming. He doesn't know. Um, he probably realizes that Jesus is saying, yeah, <laughs> you're not getting set free. It's not my plan for you. Reminder, Jesus never promises us comfortable lives. You realize that? For some reason, I don't know why we do this, but we think he does. <laughs> we feel like, like God owes us that. And then when something goes wrong in our life, what do we say? We're like, God, this ain't fair. All right, can I just say this? Man, you don't want fair. All right, you don't want fair. All right, fair is not to our advantage. All right? John's messengers hear what Jesus has to say, and they leave. And Jesus turns to the crowd, and it's almost like, I mean, he starts talking about John. It's almost like a eulogy for John, you know? Really nice stuff. He says, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He says, hey, question for you. What did you guys go out into the, to the desert to see? And everybody's like, is this a trick question? What's going on? Probably most of these people had gone to see John at one point because he was this famous, like, crazy, weird prophet out there, and everybody wanted to see it. And he says, was he a reed swing and wind? Is that what you went? And everybody's standing there in the crowd. They're all like, um, yeah, that's not how I would describe John. Okay, again, this is kind of a man's man here, right? He's not, not a piece of grass getting thrown around by the wind. And so, he, and so everybody's like, no, no, not really. Kind of afraid to answer. 
He says, okay, then what did you go out to see then? And when you saw John, a man dressed in soft clothes, right? And he describes, he's like, like those people who are splendidly dressed and living in luxury and royal palaces and stuff. Now remember, John's not a guy who wore soft clothes, right? He wore camel hair. Not cool. Again, wasn't fashionable today. It's not, it wasn't fashionable back then either. And eating bugs and stuff. He had a big leather belt. I mean, he probably looks sweet, by the way. But he's like, like, no, they're like, no, we wouldn't describe John as having soft clothes by any means. And so he's like, so what did you go out to see? A prophet? And they're like, yeah, yeah, actually, that, that's what we wanted to see. We wanted to see a prophet. And then Jesus says, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He's saying he was a prophet, but he was actually more than that. He says, this is the one about whom it is written back in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Malachi by the prophet Malachi. He says, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. He says, I tell you, among these born of women, nobody is greater than John. And so here's the whole crowd. They hear what John has to say, and they're all like, dang, John, what happened to him? Like, prison really got to him. You know, like it messed him up. And here's Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. John's not just your average prophet, right? He was the prophet. He's saying, remember the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the crowd would have known this. Um, the, the Old Testament promised really two people. Number one was the Messiah. He's the important one, the Savior of the world. But before the Messiah, the Old Testament promised that there was going to be a prophet that was going to come and like warm the crowd for him, okay? Like get people ready. And so here's Jesus. He's saying, that guy was John. And I'm the Messiah. And so John, he's saying, is the greatest prophet to have ever have come. And which is crazy because even the greatest prophet struggled with faith. And so Jesus turns to him and he says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. See, Jesus is saying, John is great, but I'm here to start something new. I'm here to start this thing called the church. He's saying, I'm here to start something that the world has never seen before. In fact, one time, uh, Jesus says the Old Testament prophets uh, long to see our day. All right, long to see the day that we live in today. He's saying, he's saying, we have something that John doesn't. We have an advantage. I mean, think about it. Over the greatest prophets who have ever have lived and walked the earth. All right, and that is that when we make a decision to give our life to Jesus, or when we actually make the decision to surrender to him, God, the Bible tells us, actually moves into our life. And that's something John again didn't get to experience. Because he lived before Jesus' death on the cross. See, when God moves in, and when we begin that relationship, what's crazy is, and a lot of you guys, you've felt this before, like you, like you know what it's like, because God starts chipping away. It ain't always easy, and sometimes it hurts. But he strengthens our faith, and he invites us to trust him. For me personally, for me, it's just like the more that I grow in my relationship with Jesus, the less doubt that I have and the easier it is to trust him in everything, to have faith. It's actually the reason why Luke's writing. Luke says right at the beginning, if you remember this, he says, I'm writing this document, all right, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. 
He's saying, I'm writing this. The whole reason, my whole point for this is so that you may have faith, so that you will know that this stuff is real, that this actually happened, so that you can put 100% of your trust in Jesus. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've been dealing with. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, I've been really struggling with my faith recently, meaning I've been really struggling with, putting, with trusting in Jesus for, for the things in my life and the situations in my life. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I don't know. I walked away from my faith a long time ago. Like, this, you know, I, this is something I haven't dealt with for a while. See, 2,000 years ago, a Greek doctor named Luke searched and searched and searched for answers. And he probably had a lot of the same questions as you. And he tracked down the people who actually experienced Jesus. And then he wrote down, he compiled it all down together so that you can have faith. Not faith that's just built on rumors or just guesses, but faith that's built on real, actual evidence. And it wasn't just Luke that did it. Right? A, young guy, a young guy named Mark, he got together and he wrote his account of Jesus' life. And, and another guy named Matthew, who's actually a traitor to his country, a tax collector, he sat down and he wrote his account of Jesus' life. He was probably in that crowd here this very day. There's another guy, an unskilled laborer, who witnessed with his own eyes a lot of these things that Jesus did and a lot of these things that Jesus said. A guy named John, different John. And he wrote down in his account, Jesus' life. Even a Roman historian, Josephus, who was not a Jesus follower, but couldn't deny what happened. See, it's something that you can build your faith on. Not just rumors, not just meaningless words, but something that's real, that's tangible in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for everything that you've given us and we thank you for these words and we thank you that Luke took the time to um, investigate, to do all the research, to, to talk to the eyewitnesses and to write this all down. Lord, we thank you for that. God, because of that, we know that you never intended us to just have blind faith, that our faith and our trust in you and our confidence in you can actually be built on actual real stuff, on real evidence. And we thank you for that. Lord, we ask if there's anybody in here that they've been struggling with it recently, that they would find comfort in what Luke has written here and in what you did. That we'd learn who you actually are. And God, we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.